Well, hello, Northridge. It's so good to see you today. I want to say a special shout out to our friends joining us at Brighton Howell and Ann Arbor Saline and those of you joining us at church online. We are really glad that you're here with us as well. Well, if you don't know a lot about me, uh, my name is Josh Eisenhart. I've been working here at Northridge nearly eight years. And for the first five years that I was here, I worked with middle school students. Now, you may be asking yourself, what in the world possesses someone to dedicate their life to these little squirrel monkeys? And I'm just going to tell you, I love middle school students. I just love everything about them. They are some of the coolest people on the planet. If you own a middle school student, you may well, own one. <laughs> like, you know, just like a puppy or a Rottweiler. Uh, if you have a middle school student living with you, then you understand they can have some of the coolest, coolest things that they interact with you about. And I, I honestly believe one of the reasons that I dedicated over a decade of my life working with middle school students is because middle school was the first time in my life where God really became real in an incredible sense. I can remember God just was, was so vivid to me, and I interacted with him in such incredible ways that it was, it was just a time in my life that was magical. And I also remember that it was in middle school that I lost my faith completely, and that I gave up on God and the church. Maybe I should back up a little bit. <laughs> I started out going to church when I was a kid, just a little bitty guy, you know, I went to vacation Bible school, I was in Sunday school, I went to church in the big service, you know, the big service, what they call this, if you didn't know, um, and I enjoyed church a good bit, but it wasn't until I got into middle school that I experienced God in really great ways, and it was because I had a youth pastor by the name of Michael. Michael was one of the coolest guys I had ever met. He would tell these stories that would make us all cry, and he'd tell other stories that make us all laugh, and we had this incredible youth group that was so much fun. We would all get together and play these absolutely disgusting games, like where we'd have somebody drink a Happy Meal that had been blended in a blender, you know, and see how fast they could chug that thing and be like, oh, yeah, that's awesome, you know. We just loved doing those types of things. And so we would plan the services together, and Michael gave us the chance to interact with what was happening in the service, so we felt like we had ownership of it, and our friends would come, and it was just such an incredible experience. I loved being a part of youth group. I loved being a part of Michael's life. I loved that he was pouring into my life. And honestly, it was just more fun to do the things that God was asking us to do, or at least that Michael was telling me God was asking me to do, than it was to do the things that I knew I shouldn't be doing. And so I just found myself doing the right things most of the time, going to youth group, enjoying this relationship with God that I'd found through Michael. I don't know if you've experienced this. If you have had middle schoolers, you know that somewhere around 8th grade, sometimes it's like 7th grade, second semester, something clicks in that little angel of yours. And maybe you've noticed this. It's like they go from being a little kid to having like this adultness about them. And sometimes that means that like, you know, the, the brilliance that you once held in their eyes is now replaced with you are the stupidest person that's ever existed. You know, and you're like, that'll change later. Come back to 18, you know, we'll see you then. But, you know, they, they get this attitude sometimes, and they, they start questioning things, and they have these big questions that sometimes we don't have answers to. And that happened to me. I got to a point where I started realizing that the, a lot of the things that God says not to do were actually really fun. And so I started to do those things a good bit. And I found that there was a lot of fun to be had in the things that God said I wasn't supposed to do or that Michael told me that God said I wasn't supposed to do. But I still went to youth group, and I was dabbling in both worlds, and it wasn't until I missed a couple weeks, and I came back to youth group, and Michael wasn't there. 
I asked around, and it turned out that Michael had left. Nobody told us why. He never said goodbye, and he was just gone. That was the moment it changed for me because I remember thinking to myself, what kind of God allows a little kid to get so caught up and consumed by somebody that he loves and just rips them away like that? What kind of church does that to people? What kind of organization is going to let that sort of thing happen? And so for me, that was a catalyst in which I walked away from God and I spent a year and a half as an atheist agnostic. I said, you know what? I don't think there's a God, but if there is, I think he's a jerk. Maybe you're sitting here today and that's where you're at. Whether you're here in Plymouth or you're at Brighton Howe or you're at Ann Arbor Selena or on Church Online. Maybe you at one time had faith, but that is something that has stumbled. And you're here now because someone tricked you by saying you guys were going out to eat. And they're like, wait a minute, we've got to stop to make first. And you're like, oh, sorry, that was a tactic we taught them. No, just kidding. Um, we're glad you're here anyway. There's probably not a better week that you could have chosen to come in. Because we're going to wrestle over the next several minutes with what is faith? Where should it stem from? Where does it come from? And how do we build a firm foundation of faith on which to build the rest of our lives? Because I think we all have a picture of God. We have something inside of our heads of who God is and how God is supposed to behave. Now that picture is formed from a lot of different things. Like it was probably formed from what a lot of people in your life, like your mom or your dad or a pastor like me on a stage, told you about who God was and you believed them. Because as children, we believe almost everything that we're told. And so someone said, God is like this, and God is like this, and God does this, but God will never do that. And if you don't do this, then God is gonna. And so you had this picture that was painted for you of God. Maybe it's painted from your own history with which that you had this interaction with God, where you've prayed and God's done something, or you didn't pray and God didn't. And you have this, this personal history of who God is. If we were all honest with ourselves, we'd probably say our picture of God is formed a lot of, by who we hope he is and who, or who we want him to be. If you've ever used the phrase, you know, sometimes I kind of think of God like a, and you just throw something out right out of your brain. We do that sometimes. Our picture of God in a lot of ways is formed just by what we want him to be like. I think truthfully, a lot of times we'll pick out little pieces of scripture that make sense to us and that fit our worldview and our circumstances, and we will apply them to God so that we have some sort of verifiable evidence as to why God is the way he is. And so we'll pick out one verse that says, you know, if God is for me, who can be against me? Great, I'm going to grab that. God is for me and just wants to do the things that I want to do. And we make and form and shape this picture of God. And you probably have one in your head right now. And when God acts consistently with the picture that you have in your head, guess what happens? Your faith grows. When you pray to God, you say, God, I really need a new car. You know what my car is like. You saw what happened on the freeway the other day. Heavenly Father, please just, dear God, give me a new car. And then all of a sudden, everything happens in such a way that you can have a new car. And you're like, God, you are awesome. Thank you so much. You know, God, God, I just, I really need this new job. You know that that guy that has the job I need doesn't do a good job. I would do a much better job, God. And I would even tell people about you and pass out tracks at work. Please, God, just give me the job. And then you get the job. And you're like, wow, God is so good. We do this. You know, maybe for you it's not that. Maybe it's that you've prayed something that was just so simple. Like, you're like, dear God, where in the heck are my keys? 
And then you look in the last place, and you're like, oh, man, they're there. Thank you, God, I know he's real. You know, it's just like, it's that thing, it's that confirmation, because it matched your picture of God, that when you talk, God listens, and he answers and does the things that you want him to do. I think some of us have this idea that when we enter a season of ease in our lives where it just seems like everything's coming your way and it's all going the right direction, and it's like you're not even praying for stuff and God's doing it. It's like he is anticipating your needs and he's like, here it comes up, gave it to you, and you're like, awesome, thank you God, you're awesome, we're awesome together, great teamwork here, and you push forward because you're in a life of ease and things are just going really well for you. Or maybe, just maybe, you did something that you really shouldn't have done, and you know that the consequences are coming. This usually happens like in a bathroom when you've shut the door and locked yourself in. And you're like, oh God, please, I'm so sorry. I really didn't mean to do that, God. If just this one time you could bail me out, I promise I'll never do that again. I'll go to church, I'll start giving 15%. God, just please don't let me feel the consequences of this decision. And then you don't. You're like, oh God, you are so great, thank you. I promise I'll try not to do that again. And it's just your faith grows because you're experiencing consistency with the picture you have of God. Here's the problem. God doesn't always act consistently with the picture that we have in our heads. There are times that we pray and we say, God, I really need, or God, I just need you to do, or God, I'm going to say three prayers and go to church on Sunday so that you can, and then God doesn't. There are times when it seems like God is just so painfully silent that you start wondering if he's just absent. And you go, you know, I, I, I prayed this, and I prayed it for three weeks or three months or three years or three decades. I've been praying, God, that you'll bring my child back around. He seems like he's farther than God than, than ever before. Sometimes it seems like God actually listens to your prayers and then just does the opposite. You ever have that happen? You're like, God, please, I just want to marry this girl. God, just please let me marry her. And then she marries your best friend. You're like, seriously, God? What was that? You saw it. We talked. I thought we had an arrangement. What happened? You know, or maybe it just seems like everything in your life is just going downhill. And it's like everything you try to do doesn't work. You just graduated with $150,000 in debt and a lot of knowledge, and nobody's trying to hire you. And you're saying, what? God, I followed your plan for my life. I prayed. You didn't say not to go to college, so I went to college. I tried hard. I got all A's. I graduated with the honors. God, I did my part. Where are you? Because we had this deal, and you're not living up to your side of it. And I don't understand. Things just get harder and harder, and it just doesn't seem to be going our way. Or maybe you did something so small, and you experienced a huge consequence as a part of it. And you look at it and you're like, God, I just, I, I told a little white lie. This wasn't a big deal. This was something so small. And you allowed it to get blown so far out of proportion that my whole life has been wrecked. God, what's the deal? I know that you say you don't like sin, but seriously, this is just not fair. And so our picture of God shifts depending on our circumstances. What we end up doing if we're not careful is if our circumstances change, our picture of God changes with it. We find ourselves saying things like, well, you know what? Maybe God just can't be trusted. You know, because I leaned into him. I had faith in him. I depended on him, and he let me down. So God isn't trustworthy. Maybe God just doesn't care. Maybe he's sitting up there, and, and he, he's actually getting, getting you know, pleasure from watching me squirm, and he's just like, <laughs> silly humans. You know, maybe he really is just like a mean God. You know, maybe he's just inattentive. 
Maybe God spun this whole thing on its axis and then walked away. And that explains so much of why there's hurricanes and typhoons and earthquakes in poor countries that just keep getting dumped on. And all this stuff that just isn't fair and isn't right and the justice isn't there. Maybe God's just inattentive. And we look at our circumstances, we look at our world, and then we say, that must mean God is this way. And our picture of God changes. Or maybe, if you're, if, if you're like me, you just threw out that picture altogether. You say, you know what, God, God must not even really exist. Just like so many other childhood fairy tales, this one ended up in a toy box and you shut the lid. But see, the danger is if we don't have the right foundation for our faith, then as our circumstances change, so will our faith. And there will come a day where your faith will fail. Can I just tell you right now, that is a scary place to be. When at one point you had a relationship with a God that you felt loved you and, and was, was there for you and that you had some sort of connection with to, to, to reach a point in your life where you're like, either he's not trustworthy, he's not there, he doesn't care, or he doesn't exist. It does something to a person's soul. It does something to a person's heart and their mind. It does something that damages your walk. It damages who you are. We need our faith in God. And without it, we're lost. So what is it that we're supposed to build this faith in God on? That's what we want to spend the next several minutes looking at. We're going to look at a passage of scripture that's in a book of the Bible called Hebrews. Now Hebrews was written to a group of people that were well, they were Hebrews. Um, they were the, the Israel nation. Uh, it was written to people who had been Jewish and had converted to Christianity. It was like the fulfillment of their faith, the way that they saw it. And so he's speaking to people that have a history. And so what he's doing is he's writing this as he's kind of putting the pieces together for the Hebrews and saying, this is some of the things you need to understand about some of the finer points of faith. And in chapter 11, he unpacks this idea of faith. And in the very first verse, we're going to start seeing where we went wrong. So if you have a Bible, you can turn with me. If not, you can go to the screens. You'll be able to see it. But it's Hebrews 11, verse 1. It says, Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. All right, so if we were going to parse this sentence out. You remember what this was like in high school or college if you, uh, if you took any of these English classes? We're going to diagram this thing, all right? So faith is, that's a really great place to start because that's the question we're asking. Faith is being sure and certain of something we want but don't see. Wouldn't you say that's a pretty accurate definition of faith? It's, I have a certainty, an assurance, a confidence in my heart about something that I don't see yet, but I have faith that it's coming. Well, on the surface, that sounds really great, but the problem with that verse taken by itself is that you can fill in that hope, that not here yet part with anything that you want. You can say, you know what, you know who God is to me? God is this, and he's this, and he's this, and he's this. I can just build my own God, and I am going to have faith that God is like this. And faith can be certainty and a surety of something that you hope for, but you don't see. It's like you pull out Photoshop and start designing your own God. I'll give you an example. Let's see if I can hack into this thing real quick. 
I going to work? There we go. Nope. Just died. Oh. Let's see if they can fix it. There we go. Okay. You know what? If we're going to start from scratch with a God, I think we can do better than this one. All right? I think if, for me, if I was going to build my own God, he would start out looking a little bit more like this. <laughs> right? I don't know if you're like me, but ever since I saw Bruce Almighty, I just can't picture God any other way. I mean, this guy's voice and the whole thing that he does, it's just like, if I'm going to build my own God from scratch, I'm starting with, Mor- with, with Morgan Freeman. That's just what I'm going to do, all right? But Morgan Freeman by, Fr- Freeman by himself is going to have a dulcet tone to his voice, but he's not really going to be able to help me out that much. If I'm building a God, I'm going to make sure that he is there for my needs when I need him, all right? My God is on call. All right? That means when I need him to enact something for my agenda, he's ready to go. He's listening. He's there. He's going, yep, I'm with you, Josh. Whatever you need, pal. You need that, that guy out of your way? Let me take care of that. You need that promotion? Let me get right on that for you. You need me to do that? Ding! I'm right there for you. It's like put in the right change and the celestial vending machine will pop out the things that I need. That is a God I can get behind, right? Because he is behind me. Something else that I think God ought to have is uh, I think he should be a great physician. You know, I think he should be the type of God that cares about my stubbed toe and my ingrown fingernail. I think he's the type of God that when I'm in pain should jump and help me get out of pain because my physical body is the most important thing I have and I need him to jump on fixing that. So as long as I pray the right way and say the right things and go through the right motions, that should obligate God to do those things for me. You know, he needs to be there. He needs to put on the lab coat and he needs to get to work, you know, because that, that's something that I need if I'm going to build a God. Another thing that I would have God have for me if I was going to have my own God is uh, the next thing would be, uh, let's see if we can get this one up here. Yep, he would have a stack full of cash that he wants me to have, all right? My God owns the cattle on a thousand hills, and I'm sure he wants to sell a few hundred of them to make my life easier. So I don't know what I've done wrong so far, but I figure as soon as I get that formula right, right, you know, that prayer, prayer, Bible study, Bible study, small group, starting point, church, cha-ching, God is going to rain down the financial blessings in such a way that I can't carry all of it. You know, that's how my God is going to act, all right? Now, I have certainty in this God, all right? I have confidence in this God that he is going to perform as I believe that he should. You know what else I think my God should have? I think my God should have a lightning bolt. You know why? Because there's a lot of people I don't like, and I think God shouldn't like them either. I think God should smite those I am angry with and bless those that I love. And that's how God's supposed to work. It doesn't matter what he thinks as long as he's got that thing ready when I need him. to Put the screws to somebody when they deserve it. And then lastly, I want my God to have a gavel. You know why? Because I want him to really punish those sins that bother me. But the ones that I'm struggling with, I'd kind of like him not to make a big deal out of. That step on your toes? Hope not, but well, there you go. (laughs) Um, This is what that God would look like if I was to make him. And all hail the Morgan Freeman God. This is a God I can get behind because he is a God that is behind me and my agenda. Now let me just ask you a question. How foolish would it be for me to bow down and worship this graven image, this 
idol that I have created for myself. And then how absolutely silly would it be for me to expect Morgan Free God over here to deliver the things that I expect and want? It would be absolute lunacy because I made him up. I just invented him. And yet, we do this every day. We paint this picture of God of how we want him to be or how other people maybe have told us he is or how maybe we've experienced here and there and pieced together from our perception of our past. And we paint this God and then we get angry when that God doesn't act the way we think he's supposed to act. We get frustrated and we lose faith in that God because he's not doing what we think he should do. I can get back to my talk now. Good. See, we know what we want, and we haven't seen it yet. And sometimes we think if we just have enough faith, God's going to make it happen. We can almost see it like it's a formula. Like if I do this and do this, then God is obligated to do this. God, I've been a great person. I go to church every Sunday. You seriously had to let me lose my job? God, seriously, what is that about? You know, it's a formula. God, I did this, 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 and this. Why aren't you doing this? And sometimes we see it like it's a force. Like somehow it's like, you know, you throw the lightsaber to Luke and you're like, use the faith. And he's like, oh, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. And we think somehow that's going to change something. It's a misconception. And it's a dangerous one because if we're not careful and we don't check ourselves, it will derail our faith completely. So if that's not how we build our faith, how are we supposed to build our faith? Well, the beauty part is, is that Hebrews 11, 2, all the way through the rest of the chapter, outlines specifically where faith comes from. This assurance of things that you can't see. This certainty about things hoped for. I'm going to read a few specific passages because I think they are the, the easiest for us to understand in this context and it will paint the picture the easiest for us. But I would encourage you to go through and read this when you get home. home. Hebrews 11, 1 all the way through. Well, we're going to start here in verse 7. This is what it says. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that is in keeping with faith. Now, God is lifting up Noah as an example of faith. Now, let's talk about what Noah didn't do. Noah didn't wake up one morning and go, hmm, I don't like any of my neighbors. Matter of fact, I think most of this world is just horrible. I'm building an ark. God, if I build this ark, I fully expect you to uh, rain down water onto the earth until everybody's dead but me. Good God? Somebody walks up, hey, what are you doing, Noah? I'm building an ark. Why? Figure this will obligate God to drown everybody. That's not what happened. You know what happened? Check this out. Let's read it one more time. By faith Noah, when warned about things not yet seen. Now let's check out another example, see if we start seeing a pattern here. Abraham, another father of the faith. This is what it says. By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would, rather, uh, he would later receive as an inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Abraham didn't wake up one day and say, I really don't like where I'm at. Hey, family, we're leaving. God's going to bless us because I'm out of here. God didn't jump onto Abraham's agenda. Abraham jumped onto God's agenda. 
Faith isn't when we hope for something and then obligate God to it. Faith is when God says something and we believe it. The next verse is in 11. We're going to skip a couple and get down to this one. It says, And by faith, even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she considered him faithful, who had made the, you say it, the promise. You want to know where faith comes from? Where strong, rock-solid faith is built? If you don't remember anything else we say here today, if you've got to leave early, I'm giving it to you right now. It's this. Strong faith is built on who God says he is and what God says he will do. See, hope is based on what we know God can do and we really wish he will do. Faith, on the other hand, is built on what God says he is and what he says he will do. See, when we build faith, it needs to be built off of things God actually said about himself. And when we do that, we start realizing that God is faithful. God is trustworthy. God isn't just sitting up there cruel like a boy with a magnifying glass burning ants. God isn't some frustrated father or some absentee landlord. God is the faithful God that he says that he is. And everything he said he will do, he has done. He's faithful. So where do we build this faith? Where do we come to this? How do we get there? As a father, uh, I've told you guys about my little boy just about every time that I've, uh, I've had the opportunity to share with you guys. He's six years old now, and uh, he just teaches me so much about my life. And uh, the other day, um, <laughs> I was picking him up from school, and they have a, a grading system like on behavior. It's, they, it's green means you did good all day. Yellow means they had to get on you a little bit and you had to flip your card. And then there's blue, which is like, uh-oh, you really messed up. And then there's like red, 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 deep red. It's like the five like, levels of hell or something. I'm not sure. But like you get down to a point where it's like, wow, you really did something bad. You must have like, you know, killed a fellow classmate or something to get red five. But whatever it is, you know, there's this thing. And so every day, Ethan was struggling with it for a little while while we were going through some transitions in our lives. And and, and there was days where he's coming home with like yellow and then like a couple of blues and we're like, oh man. So every day we'd, when he'd go into school, he'd like, all right, man, green all day. And then he'd shut the door and he'd go off. And when he came in, what color did you get? And he's like, I was green all day. And we're like, yeah. So this one particular time he, he gets into the car and before we can even say anything, he's like, green all day. And we're like, yes, way to go, Ethan. We're so proud of you. And then the next thing out of his mouth is, can we go to Chuck E. Cheese after school? I'm like, what? No, uh, we actually, we have a doctor's appointment. We can't go to Chuck E. Cheese. And his life just ended in that moment. It was that, and you see it in the body language. And he's just like, oh, man. Oh, really? And just like real tears start pouring down his face. And I just remember looking at him like, buddy, what's the matter with you? (laughs) There was never a point Ever that I even alluded to the fact that we might even think about going to Chuck E. Cheese. It never came up. We never said, if you, then we will. And yet somehow in his finite little six-year-old brain, he goes, if you don't, then you must not love me. If you don't, then, you know, you somehow broke a promise even though I never made it. And so my goal as a father is to dash his little hopes. Let me finish. (laughs) I never want my son to hold me to something I never said that I would do. Because that's not good parenting. 
That's what, that's what I would do if I, just, if I wanted to make him a spoiled little brat. Is he'd say, Dad, I want you to do this. And I'd say, well, we never said we'd do that, but since he already thinks we're doing it, I guess I should go do it. And he realizes he's the boss and not me. There's something else that I do with my son. And recently, I've had the opportunity uh, to become a father again. Uh, my wife and I adopted a little girl back in January. She's four months old now. Yeah, thank you. We're over the moon about her. But in adopting her, it reminded me of things I used to do with Ethan. When, they, when she was a little boy, now she's this little girl. Is I'll hold her and just make promises to her. It's easy when she's young, because she's not going to remember anyway. But <laughs> the things I say to her are things that I mean. I'll say things like, I'm going to love you no matter what you ever do. There's nothing you can do to make me love you less, little girl. As long as it is within my power, I'm going to provide for your needs. You may not have everything you want, but I, is, to everything in my power, you're not going to go without food. You're not going to go without water, without shelter, without clothing. I promise you, if it's within my ability, I'm going to give those things to you. I tell her, I am going to be your daddy until the day that I die. And those are the promises that I make to my little girl and, and to my son. And you know what? I expect them to hold me to those. Because that's what builds faith in their dad. Is that when I say something, I do it. And when I say I'm a type of person, I am that person. That's what a good father does. And can I tell you today, that is what our heavenly father does. He does the things he says he'll do and he is the person he says that he is. So the question we have to answer today is, what does God actually say about himself? Who does God actually say he is? Because when we unpack that, we begin to understand who this God is that we should worship. I think the best place that we can start if we're going to understand who God says he is and what God says he's going to do is first to work from the opposite side. So let's just go over a real quick list of things God never said. Because I think that would help clear up a lot of misconceptions. First and foremost, there's nothing in the Bible that God ever said he's going to make you wealthy. Sorry, I didn't mean to mess up your day, but God never said, I have a bunch of riches waiting for you, and as long as you figure out the formula, I'm going to make sure you're wealthy here on earth. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with wealth. I'm not saying that God doesn't necessarily want you to be wealthy. What I'm saying is God never promised you a life of luxury. He never promised you handfuls and stacks of cash. He never said that he was going to make sure that your life was easy. That would be another one we can just check right off the list. There is a verse in the Bible that talks about what happens when you trust God. It says, if you follow me in this world, you will have trouble. So bank on that one. That's a promise from God. Your life's going to be filled with trouble. Come to Jesus. Let's do this, you know. It's there. It says it in the Bible. John 16. You can look it up. It also never says that God is only going to give us what we can handle. That one is just one of my favorites because you see it all over Facebook. People going, don't worry, God's never going to give you more than you can handle. It doesn't say that in the Bible anywhere. Nowhere does it say that. And those of us that are standing around going, man, this is really heavy, but God said he'd never give me more than I can handle. He's waiting for you to collapse so that he can pick it up because you can't handle it. You don't have the strength, but guess what? He does. And he may just be waiting for you to lean on him. He never said that he was going to only give you what you could handle. He also never said he was going to get on board with your agenda. 
If you got into this faith thing hoping that you might be able to get God on board with you, guess what? Sorry, that's not going to happen. God has an agenda. It's his agenda. And though we're not the focus of it individually, he gives us the opportunity to jump on board with it. And most of the verses that you see that talk about, you know, whatever you ask for in my name, you'll get it. That's talking about his agenda, not yours. You know, something else God never promised, he never promised to heal our physical bodies. As a matter of fact, there was a, a disciple, an apostle of his named Paul, that spread the gospel further than any of us will probably ever hope or dream to do. He was God's man. And he prayed continually that God would remove a thorn from his side. We don't know what it was, but we do know that God said no. He said, you'll carry that thorn because in your weakness I'm made strong. God never promised to heal our physical bodies. And lastly, God never promised to reverse the consequences of our poor choices. When we choose a path, either individually or collectively as a nation, God never said, I will spare you from your consequences of your poor choices. As a matter of fact, God said he disciplines those he loves. And part of discipline is experiencing the consequences of what you've done. So we experience the full weight of those things. So those are the things God didn't say. So now that we've kind of wiped that stuff out, what are the things that God did say? We can find a really cool list of them in Hebrews chapter 4. We're going to just kind of turn in there. There's a lot of promises of God, and I would encourage you to read those, not just out of context in a book somewhere, but to really read them within the context of the history and within the context of harmony amongst all Scripture, but to start getting a picture of who God is. Hebrews 4, chapter 15 says this, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we were, yet was, has not, was without sin. You see, we have this really cool thing in that we have a God who promises to understand where we're coming from. And that's not some empty promise like, oh, I get you, even though I've never been there. God came down in human form as Jesus Christ. And you know what Jesus experienced while he was here on earth? He experienced intense pain, the likes of which we can't fathom. He experienced betrayal from those he held closest to him. He experienced tremendous loss. He experienced abandonment and loneliness. He spent an entire night dreading what was coming the next morning, praying and shouting out to God in such a way that blood poured from his head like sweat, where he said, I don't want this to happen, God. And then it happened. Our Jesus understands where we're coming from, and there's nothing you're going to throw at him that he doesn't fully grasp. And God may not choose to deliver you from something, but you can bet and bank that he is going to deliver you through it. Something else that we can depend on from God is that he will always extend mercy and grace. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. God says, you know what, I may not give you what you want, but what you want isn't what you need. What you need is to come to me and understand that I get you and understand that whatever you go through, whether it's something that I made happen or something I allowed to happen, I know that it's happening. A sparrow doesn't fall out of the sky that I don't know about. I know what's happening in your life. And not only that, I'm going to heap on top of you so much mercy and so much grace that you collapse under the weight of my mercy and my grace. You will have all that you can handle more. 
If you come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. That is who our God is. And finally, you want to know what he promised us? He promised us that he will save everyone who puts their faith in him. John 1.12 says it so clearly, yet to all who have received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Our Heavenly Father made a way that everybody can get in. Do you understand how inclusive Christianity is? It's the same standard for everybody. It's clearly explained, and everybody can get in. And it's free for crying out loud. God gave it to us through Jesus Christ, his son. And when we place our faith and our trust into who he really is and what he really says, then we have a rock-solid foundation on which to build the rest of our lives. Can I ask you a question today? Do you have that rock-solid foundation of faith? I think some of you in this room today, whether you're here in Plymouth or you're in Brighton Howell or you're in Ann Arbor, Saline, or you're watching at church online, you maybe have fallen away from faith and you're just here because this is your obligation as a husband or a wife or a kid and you're just here because you have to be and maybe God is stirring in your heart right now that it's time for you to reaffirm who God said he was in your heart. Or maybe you're here and you've never had faith before and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus and God is just tugging at your heart to say, let me in. Whatever the case, you need to understand above all else, God is for us. And when we know him, truly understand who he really is, he is a faithful, trustworthy, loving God. And he is worthy of our praise. We wanted to create just a moment for you to reflect on this together before we close out our service. So our music team has prepared a song, and as the song is is saying, I really would ask that you try and make these words your words, that you really try to allow them to impact who you are and maybe even do some business with God. And then I'll come back up and we'll finish up our time together. You know, in this moment, could I invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes? Some of you are in this room today and it's time for you to recommit to God. Because you've allowed an idol to step in and take his place. An idol created from history, an idol created from what other people may have told you or misinformed you about. And it's time for you to rededicate yourself to faith in the God of, of heaven and earth. The God of the Bible. And it's time for you to connect to him. And I encourage you to do some business with him. And maybe you're in here today and you've never made the decision to place your faith or your trust into Jesus. And today it just has clicked and it's made sense to you. And you say, I finally get it. And you're ready to take that step of faith, cross over that line and invite him into your life. I would love to lead you through a prayer right now. You don't have to pray this out loud. As a matter of fact, you don't even have to use these words there's an exchange between your heart and the heart of God. You can say something like, God, I don't get all of it. But I know your word says that I've sinned and I know that I've sinned. I know I've messed up, God. And God, I'm asking you right now to do what you said you would do. 
to save me through your son, Jesus. God, I'm inviting your Holy Spirit into my life to guide and to direct me, and I'm asking you to save me, God. Thank you. Amen. And before we finish out the last couple minutes together, I want to say if you made a decision to place your faith and your trust into Jesus, we have a connection card here that's attached to your program. We would love to invite you to rip this off. There's a box at the bottom that says, Today I place my faith in Jesus for the first time. We would love for you to check that box and give it to any of our guest service people, put it in any of the boxes outside of any of our uh, live environments. If, you've, uh, if you're joining us at church online, you can go to the What's Next tab that's like right around there um, and click that and they will be able to, uh, to share with you the same information that we would share with anybody from one of our physical campuses. I remember when I came back to faith, it was through a youth pastor as well, I was playing basketball one day and a guy named Chris jumped over my fence uninvited and drug me to church. And for like about a year, I didn't really get it. But as soon as I started listening to the words that Jesus said about himself, the words that God said about himself, and when I stopped leaning into him or to the church but started leaning into the scripture, faith came alive for me in a way. There's a pastor in in Georgia called Andy Stanley, and a lot of my understanding of this concept came from his teachings on it. But as I began to explore Scripture, it became alive to me. I want to encourage you today, if you walk away and say, what do I do now? I would encourage you to dive into the Word of God. Inform your opinion of God based off of what He said. Not in little bitty pieces, but in the whole picture. Because God didn't give us pieces. He gave us a story that goes over thousands of pages and thousands of years to understand who he is and what he said he would do. I would encourage you to get into groups of people where you can explore this stuff with others. It could be a small group. It could be starting point. It could be wherever you get with like-minded brothers and sisters in Christ and start figuring this thing out of who God really said he was and got really what God really said he would do. And when you explore that and when you look at that, you will begin to Get a picture of a God who may not be the God that you thought he was, but is better than anything you could possibly imagine. He's not a God that is going to do all the things that you wanted him to do. But he is a God that is going to do everything that is right and just and wonderful. Because he's God. And he deserves our faith. Because he is trustworthy, he is strong, He is love. And as you explore this and as your faith grows, just imagine what might happen to the world you live in is that kind of rock-solid faith stands in spite of circumstances. How your friends and your neighbors and your classmates or the people that you, you know, go to the country club with or the people that you're in, you know, sports teams with, imagine how they might respond when they see a faith that stands firm when problems arise and when disappointments come. A faith that just doesn't seem to waver like waves of the sea or the wind that blows but is rock solid on the firm foundation. When people ask you, you're going to be able to say because Jesus said it, I believe it and that settles it when that happens we're going to see the world transform around us and I look forward for that I hope you have an amazing weekend